We want to welcome our viewing audience to the Word Ministry, the teaching ministry of Providence Worshiping Arts Center, 3343 U.S. 341 North in Jessup, Georgia. We're glad you tuned in, but we would much rather have you here so you can hear what God has to say to you. We will, without apology and without reservation, take the position that we are after God with everything that we can possibly be after Him with. We will take the public position that we believe our entire life, our being, who we are, was created not natural but supernatural. We believe the Spirit of God dwells in the believers the children of the Lord, they have the power of the God who created everything living in their being. And we believe by faith that power can be accessed and the believer in Jesus Christ can live above the crap of this world. Make no apology for that. We teach the supernatural here. We want people to experience what it is like not only to be in the presence of God, but to have the presence of God flow through them into the lives of other people through prophetic words, music, and ministry, and just good old-fashioned love. Okay? Now, that's what we believe. We believe the enemy is under our feet. We believe we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We believe He cannot be unthroned, brought down, tore down, or got down. And by virtue of that, neither can we. We believe we're going to live this life, this praise, honor, and glory, and the kingdom of God will be expanded and established by virtue of whose we are. We believe every step that we take, we take for the kingdom of God to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. We don't care if anybody else believes that or not, but that's what we believe. We believe in miracles. We believe in signs and wonders. We believe in visions, open visions, dreams, prophetic utterances. We will go on record as stating, we believe God is going to take this planet in His grace and in His mercy, and He will do it through people. His people. But it will be the people who will make a choice to be a tool in His hands, to stretch their faith, to dream and act out the impossible in their life. That's what we believe. My God, it feels good saying that. There's a degree of empowerment that comes when you actually physically, verbally speak the truth that's in the Word of God. The more you speak it, the more reality it comes. That's not New Age teaching. You go search this, this book out right here. It will bear that out. Okay? So don't come trying to tell me that we're caught up in some sort of a New Agey, woogie-googie type thing. What I have just told you is what I believe. That's a little part of it. There's lots of other things I believe. But I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now that there is something going on in the earth and it is absolutely and totally capturing the mind and the spirit of the people of the Lord. They are becoming bolder. They are becoming more fearless. They are taking risk. They are stretching. Matter of fact, we've got some people that actually believe they can walk on water. I heard a lady on a CD the other day. Her name is Patricia King. You can get her books in our, in our bookstore out there from Brother Wayne. And he's, he's got good books he'll recommend to you, okay? And he's buying them and bringing them in here by the armloads, and they're going out just about that fast. But Patricia King said this. She said, you know, she said, I'm beginning to believe everything in this book and that I can do what Jesus did, greater works than these we shall do. 
She said, I'm practicing walking through walls every day. <laughs> now she said, I'm practicing it. I ain't got through one yet, but I'm practicing it every day. That's cool, isn't it? That's really cool. You know, how, how, how many times have I practiced walking through a wall? I'm not there yet. But I'm gonna tell you, I'll tell you where my faith is, is, is beginning to land. Um, if I've got the king of glory in me, and Jesus, the man who walked the face of this earth, could absolutely reorder and rearrange the particles and the molecules in his body and become invisible and, and just walk through crowds of men who were trying to kill him. And if he can take the, 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 uh, the animate fishes and loaves and multiply them in such a way as to feed thousands and thousands of people on a hillside. You know, and the word says, greater things than these shall you do. You know, why can't I do some things? Why can't I? Why can't you? I'm going to carry you to a place in Scripture tonight, and I don't know how long I'll preach. Um, you know, our, our thing lasts, our TV program lasts for an hour. I may be 30 minutes, I may be an hour, I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. Um, we're pretty much right on schedule now. I'm going to take you to a place in Scripture, and, and I got to thinking about this today as I was riding in. This place, in, this passage in Scripture I'm going to read to you, it's pretty much got the full spectrum of what a normal day or two or three days should be. It's, it, it's got the full spectrum of what it should be like to be a believer today. Acts chapter 10. Turn there. Acts chapter 10. It's got the full range, people. Okay, Acts chapter 10 records a man who lived in Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion. Uh, he was a Roman. He was an officer. He was a devout man. He feared God along with all of his household. Verse 2, he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius! And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, noon. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and led it down to earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Let's stop right there. <laughs> What I want you to see at the very outset of this that there are certain activities and certain experiences that God has laid up in our lives 
that are to be absolutely and total in the normal flow of things. First thing is this. I do not remember anywhere or any time in the Scripture, especially in the New Testament, where any really big thing happened unless somebody was set to praying beforehand. We take prayer so much for granted. You know what prayer does? You know what your prayer can do? Where you are sitting in the chair right now, or where you're going to be tonight or tomorrow in a car or in your den or at work or cutting the grass, did you know the place that you will occupy, wherever it is, if you engage in prayer, you know what you can do standing from that one spot? You can totally rearrange the events of your life or the conditions in the life of another person. You can, you can, you can whip around and, and you can redirect the resources of heaven. You can change the course of history right from where you are now. And we often overlook it. We don't do it enough. We don't press into it. We, we are too busy to pray. But I want you to understand that prayer is the tool God has given you to reorient everything that circulates on this earthen ball that we live in. Not only that, it invades every dimension of time and of space in the unseen world and it directs angels and principalities and it reshuffles things in the heavens. It opens up gates. It makes provision available. It heals the sick. It heals the sick and raises the dead. That's what happens when you set yourself to praying and we don't do it enough. You have at your disposal at any given moment the authority to approach heaven's gates, knock on it, ask for entry, and be granted entry in. At any moment, there is nothing that can stand in your way if you pray. Hey, Y'all need to write that down, some of you musicians. That might be a good line in one of your songs, okay? There's nothing can stand in your way if you pray. Now see, I just released that. Morgan's over here, she's doing this. Mm -hmm. Now Cornelius was a Gentile. He was fully awake. He was cognizant of all of his faculties. And he had a vision and a conversation with an angel. Don't you know that messed up his little Roman mindset? Think about that. A centurion, a soldier, starts to pray and he feared God. He'd been giving alms and all of a sudden at the ninth hour he saw in a vision an angel of God coming to him, calling his name and telling him about this Jew boy in Joppa in a particular house occupied by a man doing a particular trade on a particular street. He said, send for him. He's got something to say on my behalf. Wow. And you know what Cornelius did? Without any training in theology, without knowing anything probably much about signs, wonders, and miracles, and angelic visitations, third heaven encounters, prophetic utterances, without knowledge of any of that, you know what he did? He simply took it as real, he acted on it, and he sent folks over to Joppa to Huskow and bring back this man named Peter. Because Peter had something to say. And Cornelius wanted to hear it because if it was important enough for God to interrupt Cornelius' day, then it was important. Now, they set out a trot to go to Joppa. The next day, this apostle, this spiritual man, devout in all his ways, who never once argued with God, never once said anything derogatory, never once let his temper get the best of him, never once acted too soon. This dude, oh, read this, this is so cool, this is so funny. 
The next day they went on their journey, drew near to the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Okay, noontime, Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. He became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Okay, this, the, the apostle Peter, this spiritual man, held in high regard and revered by all in Jerusalem in the body of Christ, feared by the Roman government and the Sanhedrin council because they knew he'd been with Jesus. This man got hungry, goes up on the housetop to pray. Instead of that, he goes to sleep. <laughs> Think about this. Isn't that so spiritual? Isn't that, wow, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Everybody down there in the house thinking Peter's up there praying, knocking on heaven's door, because that's probably what he said. I'm going up on the rooftop to pray. All the time, Peter's thinking he's going to take a siesta and he might find some couscous up there or something, or some hummus. And he, the, the apostle goes to sleep. But God doesn't, that doesn't bother God because what he does is he puts Peter into a trance or into a vision. And it's a weird thing. When he does that, he lets down this great big old sheet, this great big old basket container of all sorts of beasts that creeped on the earth and fowls of the air, you know, unclean things. And he tells Peter to rise and eat. And Peter in this vision still maintains contact with his orthodox Jewish upbringing, and he's arguing with the Lord of this thing, I'm not going to, eat. I'm not going to rise killing. All that stuff's unclean. I've never put anything common or unclean in my mouth all my life, and I'm not going to start now. And so God has to challenge him three times. So eventually, Peter wakes up, and the delegation from Caesarea is down there knocking on the door, and they're calling for Peter. Now what I want you to see is this. Is that prayer precedes every extraordinary thing. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, God is so great and God is so wonderful. Even well-intended prayer that doesn't come out right, He still honors that and it precedes something real big. Y'all didn't get that. No, you didn't get that. Well-intended prayer. I'm in that category a lot. Lord, I meant well. Meant to pray, but I really didn't pray. Got hungry. Went to Checkers. Had a big Buford. Seasoned fries and a Diet Coke. But the thing is, prayer does something. The other thing is, God is so sovereign. When he begins to move and he's got a program to put into place, he could even take well-intended people who fail sometimes. And he can impose the will of heaven into a situation just to make sure what he wants done gets done. In the course of a day, in the course of a day, the ordinary experience within the body of the Christ should be prayer, visions, angelic encounters, trances, Visits with angels and conversations with God. During the course of a day. That's extraordinary. One of the things I'm noticing in my life, and it's, it amazes me. Now those of you who know me well, know that lots of times I'm like a bull in a china shop. You know, some of you who don't know me, you probably need to talk to the elders and the leadership in this church. <laughs> I'm usually in such a big hurry and a big rush to do things. A lot of times I get the cart before the horse and just make a general mess. But I've learned in the recent past that it pays to wait and be patient. And as I pay, as, as, I, as, I, as, I, as I've learned to wait and be patient and start praying more, I'm learning that God is speaking to me more. Maybe, no, let me correct that. He's always been speaking to me. Maybe I'm just taking a little time to hear him. 
Did you know during the course of my day, when I'm at work or I'm visiting with people, it is astounding to me how in the recent months, how that I am totally aware. Whatever's going on, I am totally aware, as best I can be aware, of the things that work in the spirit around me. I'm learning to sense that. I'm learning to understand what spirits are driving people to do what they do. I'm beginning to wonder why things happen to people the way they happen to them. If I hear of a situation, if somebody has a headache, I kind of know what the problem is there. Uh, my son-in-law today got real sick and had to carry him to the doctor. Uh, he had a, a headache and stuff, and he explained as best he could what was going on in his head. I knew what was going on. I know what's going on. I can, you know, you may say, well, that's sort of presumptuous on your part. It's subjective, and, and, um, and you don't really know. You just think you know, and whatever the end result is, whatever they find out the problem is, you'll just agree to it, and that way you was right because you didn't tell anybody what's going on. I'm telling you, I know what's going on, okay? But it amazes me when we pray and we begin to tune in to what God is saying because there's information in the natural all around us and there's information in the spiritual all around us. It is amazing to me what you can pick up on. Okay? And so, prayer moves everything in the earth. Visions, trances, angelic visitations, divine directions by God... Those are things that should be common and part of the life of the body of Christ every day. Now, does that mean everybody's going to have them every day all the time? No, but I tell you what, in this group of people sitting right here, in this bunch of people sitting in this room, as we move forward as a body, as the bride of Christ, there should be people in this room every day having stuff like this happen. Because why? Because I'm going to tell you again, because you've got the God of everything living in you and He's communicating in various ways. He does not always speak with the lips or the tongue. He speaks in other ways. He sends messengers to dispatch. He does it in a supernatural way. You can tune into that. You can receive that. And in this body of people, that should be the report on a daily basis. We love to share dreams here and visions. I don't know who this is for, but uh, when we started praise and worship tonight, I saw a mountain. One of y'all is trying to, there's a mountain in your life, and you're trying to drill, you looked at it, and you're trying to drill a tunnel through it. You are 15 feet deep into the side of that mountain, and you're, auger is wore out. You don't know what to do. God says, speak to that mountain and it'll be removed. Do not waste your time trying to drill a hole through it. You'll wear yourself out and you'll just move dirt. That's all you'll do. But when you get to the other side, it'll just be a hole in that mountain, but it will be taking up territory that you could have. So what you need to do is stop drilling in the mountain and you need to speak to it. It's a lot easier, more effective, and thorough. So I don't know who you are, but I hope you got that. I feel better now. And so then what happens is this. Peter, he gains a little wisdom down through the last few months and years. It's actually been about 10 years now in Acts 10. It's been about 10 years since Christ ascended into heaven. So the, the church is about 10 years old now. So Peter's learned a little bit about being an apostle for 10 years. And uh, so what he does is he gathers up some witnesses to carry with him to Caesarea. Wisdom. Wisdom. Because he knows that he's going to the home of a Gentile. And there's certain people back in Jerusalem in the church that ain't going to like it because he's going to visit with a Gentile, someone who's unclean. Peter's already got the word. Now he understands, as he goes back with these people, he understands that God, when he let that great big sheep down, was talking about more than just the animals that were clean or unclean. He told Peter that what God's plan don't call unclean. Peter got the message that he was now going to the house of a Gentile who was, not clean, who, who, who was clean. God had cleansed him. 
And so Peter was going there, but he carried with him some witnesses. Watch this. Let's read a little bit further. This is so cool the way this works. Verse 21. Then Peter went down with the men who had been sent with him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I'm heathen who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, he talks to these people, and they take it and they go on the way. Verse 24. And the following day they enter Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one or another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius rehearses and he told him about the vision and um, all that kind of stuff. And then you just go on down there, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. And he begins to preach to him. Now, as this develops and transpires, as Peter begins to preach to them, if you read down there a little bit further, you'll find this. This is so cool. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Then he preaches about Jesus in verse 38. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and went doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many of them came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they asked him to stay a few days. All right, what I have just read to you has took a lot of time. But I want you to see that part of the experience, and I yes, it is an experience. You experience God. He's a God of experience, and He has created you to experience Him. It's about the Word. It's also about the experience that we have with God. People prayed. They had conversations with angels. They had visions. They had trances. They knocked on doors. Peter came down. He went with them. He met Cornelius. Then as Peter preached, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Gentiles received his word. They were saved. They received the baptism with the Spirit. Then they took them to water and they, they applied water baptism. What I want you to see is this. The whole spectrum of that. We have absolutely and totally got to get to the place where it is a supernatural experience all the way from the receiving of one's instructions from God during the hour of prayer. That follows through a supernatural experience all the way to the place where people are saved, filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized and made disciples. It is a supernatural experience from one end to the other. From one end to the other. And part of this whole package is that God demonstrates not only His power to forgive and His willingness to save, but He demonstrates that He touches people and He moves people in particular ways. To one, He sent an angel. To another, He sent a vision. He, went, he worked with the Gentile and He worked with the Jew. And the end result of this supernatural experience was souls being saved. Did you know we are living in a society today that has been Sunday schooled to death, they've been preached to death, they've been gospel tracked to death, they are totally callous 
to the word of the Lord that proceeds from the church and any Christian, you walk up to somebody who's lost and you try to share Christ with them, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. And there's, a, there's in many cases an automatic wall that goes up because they think they know who you are. The trouble is they, they, know, who most, <laughs> they know who most Christians are, but I'm thinking they've never met the likes of some of you. What we've got to do in this day and age, we have got to, the church has got to revert just a little bit and get back to some of this stuff in order to get the attention of the lost, the dying, the unsaved, and the sick. We've got to start operating in supernatural power in order to validate the message that Jesus preached about the kingdom of God. We've got to get to the place where our faith is not weak anymore. It's not founded in a one-sided Christian experience, but it's multidimensional. And it's going to take us sometimes by ourselves, but it's going to take more than that a lot of times in groups of people going out two by two, three by three, four by four, going out, blessing people, asking God what He wants to do, praying for people, releasing words, You know what I have, you know what I've noticed over the last two or three years? What I have noticed is there's nothing in this world that will get the attention of and cause a person to wonder what's going on like a prophetic word. Somebody who's cold and callous and hard against Jesus. Maybe they're lost. Maybe they're just disappointed. Maybe they've just had a lot of bad experiences at the hand of a church. You can't do anything with a lot of those people. But I tell you what, if you walk up to somebody in, in Walmart and you say, um, excuse me, <laughs> but um, I just heard God say something. Can I, can I share something with you? And you, listen, you always need to ask for permission. Don't ever just barge into something and blurt something out. It's going to be a lot more effective if you get permission. You know what? Um, I heard God say you had a child at home. It's sick. Is that right? Well, yeah. Could I, could I pray with you for that child? Or, you know, God said that you just suffered a real hard pain, a difficulty in a relationship. Uh, is that right? Disappointment, yeah. Could I pray for you about that? I want to tell you something. When you start operating on the information that is totally and completely 24-7 circulating around you, when you start operating on that and you start releasing that into the lives of people, you're going to start seeing results. And I'm going to tell you, we have got to get away from the same old routines that we've had all these years. And we have got to start applying something different, something that is biblical. 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 You know, <laughs> I heard Bill Johnson say this. He said, you know, he said, nobody. He said, I could go into any church, anytime, anywhere in America, and I could preach on the revival that is to come. Now, he said this a few years ago. I can preach on the revival to come. And he said, everybody in the house would amen me. He said, but when the revival comes and God starts doing what God does in revival, he said, people, the same people that amen me would turn a deaf ear and they would say something condemnatory about what God is doing. Why is that? It's because people are threatened by a God on the loose and his loose bunch of people. Amen. You loose bunch of people. <laughs> but everybody's for it until it happens. And when it happens, about half of them fought and half of them again it because if you keep reading this passage, you're going to find that when Peter reported back to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision said, How dare you? You went and ate with someone who was unclean. Peter said, Well, yeah, that's true. But here's the real story. He recounts everything that happened. And then James stands up and he says, The scriptures declare this to be so. Now, when, why would not God want to continue to operate today? 
just like he did in the past as it is written in this book. You know what? I believe he's been acting the same way all the time from before day one. You know what the problem is? The problem is God's not changed. We have. We have become sophisticated. We've become genteel. We have tried to be contemporary. We've tried to put everything in a nice, neat little box and in a pretty package with a red bow on it so everybody will like it. But I'm telling you what, the war that's waging right now is not pretty. And if we try to put a bow on it, God help us. God help us. I'm, I'm sorry to yell at y'all. <laughs> Most of y'all who know me, know that I don't like to yell, but I just, I'm getting excited these days. Getting excited these days. Let me, th can I tell you a story about what happened in the furniture store this past week? Um, I think it was last Saturday. No, it was Monday. Uh, I was there kind of, I was by myself actually, everybody was going to lunch and this lady came in and so she began to meander through the store and so I walked over to her and I said, can I help you with anything? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a, a, a headboard, a frame, and a, and a chest. I said, well, come let me show you. We have some open stock items over here, and people buy the snot out of this stuff. And I said, you might, you might like some of it too. So I carried her over, and I showed it to her. And as she was talking, the Lord began to talk to me. And, uh, you know, he just he wanted me to ask her a few very simple questions. And so, I mean, it's nothing extraordinary, okay? And so I said, uh, are you from... Uh, you from this area originally? I knew she wasn't. She had a Midwest accent, for goodness sakes. You know, and she was probably about 65. Oh, uh, well, we've lived here for 23 years, but no, we, we're not here originally. We're from Illinois, but we moved here from Guatemala. Okay, y'all. Why would anyone live in Guatemala? One of two reasons, only two reasons. You're either Guatemalan or you're a missionary. I said, oh, okay, here's where, <laughs> here's where people can think you have a prophetic gift and you just, you know, you just know stuff and it's not really prophetic, it's just what you know as you pick up on things. And I said, oh, I said, uh, so you and your husband were missionaries. She turned around and looked, yes, how do you know that? <laughs> and then I shared it with her, I said, well, I said, I could be real smart about this or I could tell you the truth. And so I just told her the truth, I said, on one of two reasons you're in Guatemala. You're a Guatemalan or you're a missionary, one or the other. And we started talking, and she looked at me just square, and she said, where do you go to church? I said, well, I know we're in town. She said, me either. And so we got to talking, and I'm just going to kind of give you the short version, okay? This woman and her husband had been missionaries in Guatemala. They moved to Fitzgerald. He was, he's actually a pastor. And he pastored a little bit a few years whenever they came back. But, but um, they stopped, I'm telling you, they stopped going to church altogether. And um, I said, well, I said, if, if you don't go to church, I said, what do you do? Because she was, she was fresh enough. I could tell she was not a, some sort of a, a dropout or anything. And, and so she began to tell me that, that they attend a home group over in Fitzgerald. And y'all home groups are absolutely and totally legitimate <laughs> Uh, churches are legitimate, home groups are legitimate, home churches are legitimate, okay? And so uh, we began to talk, and she said, yeah, I need to get you to go one day. I said, I think I would like to do that. But as we began to talk, and this is where I wanted to bring you to, as we began to talk, um, I found out we, 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 we went to a, a dinette table, and we just sat down, just the two of us, and we began to talk. And she had her head hanging down. And she asked me about the Lakeland Revival, and I said, I said, yeah, I, said, I believe God's in it. I said, but everything there ain't God. I said, you just, I said, I said, you've got to come to that conclusion. Even Pastor Strader says that. Todd says that. You know, I think that's something that me and the critics have missed. But I said, yeah, I said, God's in it. I said, I'm, I, I support the revival. God's in it. And she said, we talked about it a little while, and she, she hung her head down, and she said, you know, she said, she said, I think I missed it most of my adult life. She said, <laughs> she said, I've been so tied up in my schedule raising my children and growing our gardens and taking care of things that, that I have not presented Jesus as I should. She said that with her head hanging down. 
and she lifted her head up and she looked at me straight in the eye and she said, but I'm ready for that to change. There was a fire there. A real fire. She said, I want to see people healed when I lay hands on them and pray. She was a spirit-filled lady. She said, I want to lay hands. She said, I want to see people healed. She said, I want to see people saved by my testimony. She said, I want to see the dead raised. I said, well, sister, I said, you're well on your way to that now. And she said, where did you say you went to church at? And I, and I, I told her. I tried not to talk too much about myself because I was getting information, you know, to her. And I prayed with her before she left. And uh, we're going to get together with uh, her, her and her husband here before all my wife and I are. But she said, where did you say you went to church? And I said, well, I said, I, I pastor a Morning Star Fellowship Church in Jessup, Georgia. I said, you anything about Morning Star? And she goes, I do. She said, as a matter of fact, she said, there are three ladies in our home tonight, spending the night, they're on their way to Fort Mill. Uh, they've been at the Lakeland Revival. Now they're, now they're going to Morningstar. I said, do they live in Fort Mill? No, they live in Montana. <laughs> so see, uh, anyhow, I've said all that to say this. You need to begin to engage people. You need to begin to ask questions. You need to begin to pray for people. You need to begin to listen to what the Spirit is saying concerning individual people. You need to begin to involve yourself in ministering to people and not spending your life sitting down like we've been doing for the last 20 years. Because I'm telling you, the thing that's been loosed in the Spirit was given birth to in Lakeland, Florida. And people now are beginning to believe that if Todd Bentley can do it, they can too. If it can happen in Lakeland, it can happen in Jessup or Fitzgerald or Dublin or Fort Mill or Los Angeles, California or in Guatemala. People are beginning to feel that way. And I'm telling you, God is raising up an army now that's going to meet the opposition of the enemy at the gate. There is a, there is a discontentment in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, there is a holy rage beginning to burn. People are absolutely tired of the accuser in their life and the meddler of the affairs in their life. I want to give you a strategy. We've thought about this thing wrong. Has anybody noticed that our worship has changed in the last six months? What were we doing like from six months ago for the last four or five years? Good Lord, let me show you. At war. We have been fighting tooth and nail for every inch of ground we have approached. Legitimately. Legitimately. That's where we were. Something has happened. Now, we're still going to do this. Okay, when we need to do that, we're going to do that. But something has happened. We have, un we are beginning to understand now that we've been fighting a defeated enemy. We're beginning to understand now that we are presently seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. We are beginning to understand now that the enemy literally is under our feet. We are beginning to understand now that we don't have to fight as hard because the simple presence that we walk in will displace him from wherever we go, including worship. We are beginning to understand that we don't even need to waste our breath on him anymore. We are beginning to understand there's something called dominion and it is our birthright. It is what we were born for. It's our heritage. And we're beginning to walk in that. Does that mean there won't be a scurry along the way? <laughs> of course there's going to be scurries. But you know what? The ones that we meet in the spirit will just have to fall. The demons and the minions, the hordes and the cowards, those who attack in darkness and, and from the rear flank, and even the principalities and the powers. We are not 
acknowledging them anywhere close to where we used to be, although that was legitimate because we have got a handle on the revelation of what our identity really is and what our birthright really is. And I'm telling you, it's not only happening here. It is happening all across the board in Christendom. And it's not arrogance. People, I don't want you to think, I don't, anybody watching this program, I don't, you, I don't want you to dare think this is arrogance speaking. This is just the absolute word of God speaking to you and the spirit of the Lord witnessing and testifying that Jesus really rules and reigns. And he is really in control of the happenings of the affairs of men in the earth. And he is really going to use his people and his bride to set right things that are wrong. And he's really going to use his people to save, heal, and deliver. We really got a handle, we're getting a handle on the thing that we're ambassadors. Now, God, it's a good thing. I like this a lot better. I like it a lot better. Now, does that mean that my life is devoid of the meddler? And the accuser, definitely not. But what that means is, I'm not affected by it anymore. I am at peace with my God and what He has accomplished. And I'm beginning to understand that my enemy is a lot smaller than I thought he was. And he's a lot quieter. And I wish, I, does anybody have a balloon here? I guess not. I, for, I forgot to bring the balloon because I was going to give you a little illustration, but I, I think you can visualize it well enough. You know how you get a balloon out of the bag and it's totally collapsed? And you have to go, and every, every breath you put into it, the balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, I want you to think about the enemy as being a deflated balloon. And as you know, that balloon is always going to be deflated until you begin to blow into it. This is what happens. Come into church. Oh, I want you to, oh, I'm under such attack. Oh, I tell you, I just don't know how much more I can stand. The enemy has taken away. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm just, I, I, I'm just so messed up, but I can't help it because the devil made me. And every breath you take, you're just pumping air into a balloon that should be deflated. And it's getting bigger. Every time you mention his name, until after a while, what should be nothing what should be able to be fitted into your pocket now is bigger than your head and it's a signal to what he's done. Why don't you let go of the balloon? You know what will happen then? Everybody say, okay, do this. Take your balloon, hold it in your hand. Y'all got a balloon, I know you do. Do this. When you release it, go... On three, on three. Everybody release that balloon and go one, two, three. That'll set you free. Prayer, angelic visitation, trances, visions, God communicating, doing things, moving people, shuffling things around, bringing provision to bear. Uh, signs, wonders, and miracles. That should be a part of our everyday life. But you know what? None of that's going to happen until you begin to let yourself be open and receptive to what God is doing. And until you stretch your faith just a little bit to do what the Word says concerning the events and circumstance around you. Come here, Jim. You got something to say. I want you all to listen to this. There's the microphone, brother. Give them three or four minutes of what you told me. Now, by the way, about three weeks ago, he came up front and he, he said that uh, he, just, he just wanted to pray for signs, wonders, and miracles to be released in the body of Christ. He stood right here and I said, well, do it. And he turned around and he did it. Now, y'all listen to what he says. 
Well, two weeks ago when I asked, and I prayed, and I was put in my spirit about how everybody was a little concerned about where you're afraid or you're intimidated or you're embarrassed about making yourself available to be used as an instrument as a vessel of God. Well, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be ashamed because God wants to give you more power than you can ever dream of to do things. About a month ago, I was coming back out of Florida and God gave me a vision. Well, about two days, three days prior, before that, my daughter had called me from the other side of Macon and told me about some friends and I when I used to live up that way. Well, their daughter, about 27, 28 years old, was in a car wreck. She was pregnant with a child, had a two-year-old in the car with her, had a seven-year-old in the car with her. She was in a head-on wreck. She got killed. Her two-year-old was in critical condition. They had to cut a hole in the top of her head, put a, hole, put a tube in it to drain the fluid off of it. The second day, they wanted to pull the plug on her because she said she would never be nothing but a vegetable. And the, and the father said, well, you need to give me a day to let me think about that. He then lost a wife, yeah. a wife that was pregnant with a child, got a two-year, got a seven-year-old downstairs that's in bad shape, got a two-year-old that's in critical condition they want to pull the plug on. He said, you got to give me another day. But when I was coming up out of Florida, God gave me a vision. Anybody ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Okay. Mighty man of God, walked in a powerful anointing. Well, God showed me Smith Wigglesworth standing over that child's bed praying for her, rebuking the spirit of death and speaking life to that child. And you can all ask, well, well what does that mean? God gave me an instruction. The anointing, the mantle that was arrested on Smith Wigglesworth it's the same anointing and mantle that anybody sitting in this room can have and operate in. So he gave me an instruction. I was under a load to take, and I called my people, and I told them, I said, look, I told them what had happened. It didn't matter whether they thought I lost my mind and my cheese slid off my cracker or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I just told them the dream, the vision that God gave me. And I said, I need to go to Macon, Georgia. And I said, whether I keep my job, whether you fire me or not, I said, but I'm going to Macon, Georgia. Because I was supposed to go up. God gave me an instruction that I knew to go up there and lay hands on that child and speak life into it, where they was wanting to pull the plug. Well, before they, we left there that day, I waited two hours after I got up there. Because first of all, when they got them in ICU, you're not a family member. You, you don't even supposed to be there. For two hours I waited, and I prayed the whole way up there. And I said, God, they said, you know, we can't be in there you can't touch her. I said, but I believe you're going to make a way for not only me to get in there, but you're going to open the door for me to lay hands on her and and pray for her. So two hours later, they come and got me out of the waiting room and said, you could go back there now. So when I got there, the mother of the father, the grandmother, she said, I understand you've been wanting to see Dakota. That's the little baby's name. She said, I don't believe I know you. I said, no, ma'am, you don't. And I told her that I was friends with the other grandparents. I went to church with them and their daughter. And I told her what happened, the vision that God gave me about that child and the instruction of what to do. And I said, I drove all the way up here to come up here and lay hands on that child and pray life into that child. And the door opened wide open. She said, well, she's laying here and been waiting on you. So we anointed that child. We laid hands on that child. They moved her to Atlanta that evening. Long story short, this was a month ago. Second day after the wreck, they was wanting to pull the plug on her. Quit, give up, doctors did. But I told that grandmother, I said, it's not over till God says it's over. But the question to me is for you today here, how much of God do you want and how much are you willing to pay? Do you want his whole package or you just want a piece of it? Because if you take the whole package, you go, you got to go through some stuff to walk under that kind of anointing. But I promise you, I've been more through more stuff in the last five or six years than I've been in my whole 21-year walk. But I'm still standing and I'm still marching on. Just like to drive all the way to North Georgia for a little child that I've never seen and never met. But today, last week, last Thursday, 
Now, child's not only out of no movement. When she was so swollen that her head looked like a basketball. They couldn't touch her. They had to open her eyes with Q-tips. And her pupils looked like dimes. And she looked like she was in another dimension. There was absolutely no movement, no life, no nothing. Except that breathing machine. Three weeks ago, she'd started moving a hand. Then she started moving an arm. Then she started moving the other arm. Now she's moving both legs. This past Thursday, they took her home. Of somebody that wanted to give up two days. So what am I saying to you today is I challenge everybody sitting in this room. You say, well, that ain't my calling. How do you know what your calling is if you don't get up and make yourself available? A year ago, I was working for a good company, making good money, good benefits. Had a split-level home up in middle Georgia. I quit the company after 11 years, give up my benefits. Two of my daughters I give my house over to after 13 years paying off. I said, here, y'all take over payment. I paid my bags and moved back to Jessup. They said, you're crazy. I said, well, sometimes you got to lose your mind to find it. But what did I do? I just stepped off in a deeper realm of submission to trust God, to have faith in God. I've come to a place of such, as you talked about, that peace and rest. Yeah that I've never been in before in my life as I am right now. It, I'm reminded like a lot about Jesus. I got no place to actually, you know, to lay my head to call it home. But you know what? It don't matter. The most important thing to me is my walk and to please God to do what he wants to do. And if he can take somebody, a South Georgia boy with seventh grade education, and give him a vision coming up I-95 and say, go to Macon, Georgia, and lay hands on a child, he can do it to you too. But do you dare to go? Are you willing to give up every surrender? Every, it don't belong to you know how. I don't say this disrespectfully, but all of us have been to a lot of funerals. But I ain't never seen a U-Haul hook behind a hearse yet going to the cemetery. Take it with you. He said, store up your treasures in heaven, not down here. The most important thing for any of us to ever remember will be Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these other things be added. I believe I've come to a place in my relationship. You can too. I believe you can have enough hunger and desire and thirst for God. You can walk into a room in your relationship and you can change the atmosphere of that room. And not open your mouth and say one word about about nothing. But just because of the relationship is what's in you. I'm convinced of that. But how dare do you you want to go? How deep do you want to go? Don't worry about what you think or somebody makes Just do it. And I promise you, it's, it's the most sweetest thing that I've ever tasted. Now, I love my children almost more than breath itself. But they are not my first love. And I don't, not even for my children and my grandchildren, I do not compromise my relationship with God for them or nobody else. Because when you compromise something, it's going to cost you. And your children, your grandchildren. And the thing about it is, God, first of all, he wants to know he can trust us with what he gives us. And when he gives us those good gifts, and they're they're nuggets, they're precious, wonderful nuggets. And when we get them, we need to protect them with everything we got. Are we willing to sell up and give up everything we got for what he gives us? After all, didn't he give us his best of what he had? And he didn't even blink an eye to hesitate to give his best. So why shouldn't we give ours? You know, the ordinary traditional church, I don't say it disrespectfully, but I've had it up to here with legalism, restrictions, the way they want to mandate and do things. Word of God says, worship me in spirit and truth. That's liberty. That's to be able to come in and praise God and do. You know why they don't like what, you, what, we're, what you're doing right here? Because they can't control it. They can't control it. And that, to be honest with you, that ticks them off. They're, it's a jealous spirit, a rebellious spirit. But you know what? He called a lot of y'all to come in there and tear down the spirit of adversity, the spirit of religion. 
And you ain't even got to walk in and open your mouth. Just walk in with that hunger and that thirst, that anointing. And you can drive up a highway and speak to a child that they're going to pull the plug on and watch a child go home. And I praise God for that. And all I can say is, I want some more of it. <laughs> and Brother Keith, I asked to hear a while back, you know, I've got different gifts operating in my life, but I've prayed one for a long time that I wanted to walk in the gifts of miracle. I said, Lord, give me the gifts of miracle. I ain't going to pray for it no more. I'm going to walk in it. There you go. I'm walking. Amen. Okay. Now you see, people, this is where we are. Do you see a parallel between his experience and what happened in the Bible? Prayer, God talking to you, having a vision, going somewhere and something exciting happening. I'm going to tell you, unless you take the risk, unless you can somehow cultivate the boldness and get rid of your fear, uh, that'll never happen. This is where we are. This is who we are. There has been a, a radical shift in I guess, in us. That's a good thing. 